It is my privilege to uh, introduce someone to you, and Kenneth, I didn't get a wireless mic. Is that going to be a problem? Can somebody uh, run us up a wireless mic? We have been waiting for a while, and I am very happy to introduce to you Pastor Eddie Wachowski. All right, we got something coming up. All right. We're going to do it like this. So, <laughs> what? What? We are so glad that Eddie is here with his lovely wife, Yana, and they, Eddie drove in Thursday night. Uh, thank you to everyone that helped unpack the truck and get everything moved in in record time on Friday, and then... Uh, Yana joined him Friday night, and uh, they're hitting the ground running. So we're so glad you're here. And we just wanted to take just a minute. We thought we'd do a little uh, mini interview just so that everybody can get to know Eddie um, slightly. And then I'll, I'll try to ask him things that will lead you to want to ask follow-up questions afterwards. So um, you grew up in? Vero Beach, Florida. Vero Beach, Florida. It's a good place. Yes, we have one Vero Beach <laughs> lover. Oh, Florida lover. <laughs> You're in Texas now, so uh, everything is, is Vero Beach, Texas, because it's all Texas. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> you grew up in Vero Beach, and then you went to college at? Trevecca. We have a good Trevecca representation, even though we love Snoo. Woo! We do love Snoo, but... So you went to Trevecca and you got a degree in? Religion. Hey. That works out well. And you have been in youth ministry for? Uh, full time for three years. Almost four years. Full time for three years. Almost four years. Awesome. You come to us from Nashville, Tennessee. Hermitage Church, which is a wonderful church. Um, we have a lot of friends there that we have uh, in common. And so uh, I can't tell you how many Facebooks and emails we got that were like, oh, man, you're taking Eddie. Ah! And so that made me feel, well, it made me feel guilty, but it made me feel really good as well <laughs> because I knew how strong that church was. And if Eddie was doing such an amazing job there, then it just makes me excited for what's going to happen with the teens here. Now, what is one of the craziest things that you have done? Or what is one Period. of the craziest <laughs> hobbies that you have? Okay, craziest hobbies that I have, um, I geocache. I don't know if we have any geocachers here. Uh, it's like worldwide treasure hunting, and so you go to crazy sometimes. I almost got murdered once, I'm pretty sure, while geocaching in the ghetto. Awesome. Very nice. Yeah, and, and we're not going to talk about it now, but sometime you need to ask Eddie about the time that he um, got mugged. Kidnapped. Kidnapped. No way. Yeah. This, I'm serious. He was True telling story. story after story, and we're like, no, there's no way. This is, like, this is like a Seinfeld episode of just random weirdness that happens to Eddie. So, uh, and you've been married for how many years? Three and a half. Three and a half years, and Yana is from? Jersey. I'm just joking, <laughs> Thailand. She's from Thailand. St stand up real fast. This is Yana, everyone. What, what is, last question, what is one of the things that you absolutely love um, about youth ministry? What, what are you excited about 
Yeah, uh, well, I'll answer the first one and then the second one. Uh, I love youth ministry because I love this time period of students' lives, um, especially the junior high into high school where there's just weirdness and randomness. And I, you know, Garen was talking to me about, you know, about this interview earlier and how awkward it would be. And uh, I think I love youth ministry because I'm very comfortable in awkwardness and weirdness. And I love to embrace the weirdness that I believe is in all of us. That's true. And I'm, That's true. I'm excited There's about this group because uh, they've been great so far. In the staff, that is for sure. <laughs> oh my and I try to avoid awkwardness at all costs. Uh, <laughs> but so we that, pull them in. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll be good for us to stretch us a little bit. Well, Eddie, we're so glad you're with us. You guys have pitched in and helped out with some, uh, some gifts here. These are credit cards, not credit cards, these are uh, gift cards and other wonderful things that you can go to restaurants and grocery stores along the way. Oh, thank you. I dropped a few on the way. Connie's custard. We will put But don't pull. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. Confessionally, I have to tell you, Eddie, when we pulled in on Friday and it was like 1,000 degrees, I like pulled the, uh, the truck door open as fast as I can uh, because I did not want you to, to second guess your decision here and the heat of Houston. But we are so glad that you're here. We, this is just a small way of welcoming you. And also, we've got all this just hosh posh of, of fun things for your house, uh, a variety of things that are needed, like toilet paper, definitely. Uh, good thing to have. Yes, very good. Uh, I think that's two ply. It's a good thing, too. Um, we wanted to help you get off to a clean start. Bump, There you go. So a variety of different things there. We also have a little treat for your dog, which we, I think we have a picture of. There you go. Oh, he's like a model. He is. What's his name? Louis. 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 Louis uh, drove 15 hours in the moving truck like, like an angel and just slept the whole way. So we're pumped about Eddie being here. We're excited about you being here too. And uh, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of warm up this morning. If you'd stand to your feet and uh, kind of get the cobwebs out this morning ready for worship, find a couple of people, shake their hands and smile at them like you know them. <laughs> If you haven't been with us, uh, we're in this series called Church on the Go, and we've been going so much, uh, apparently the O just decided to go this morning uh, on the sign over there uh, in the middle of one of the songs. But uh, excited what God has been showing us through the book of Acts. This morning we're in Acts chapter 17, so if you want to grab your Bible and turn that direction, Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look at the first couple of verses, and it says this, Paul and Silas then travel through the towns of Athens. Apophilus and Apollina, and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scripture to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, Jesus, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. So Paul would go to synagogues and he'd begin to preach. And he's preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And that he was going to suffer, or that he did, and he was going to die, and he did, that he was going to rise again. That's what he was preaching. I don't know, I, I, it kind of jumped out at me. I don't know if you've seen that movie, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, yet. Funny action, good, you know, left, kind of a feel-good action pick. In the middle of the movie, there's this character that's uh, taken uh, from the 80s on Earth, and he's trying to relate to, like, aliens and other people around the, the, the world. 
And he uses a couple of references, like Kevin Bacon references from the 80s, and there's these kind of funny moments, and people are looking at him like, what? I don't understand what you're, you're saying, okay? I don't know if you know this, but we use some phrases that around the, the world people don't use and would probably look at us like, for example, uh, knock on wood. Uh, people don't use that other than us. It's kind of a, a weird one. Uh, what about straight from the horse's mouth? Like, think about how strange that, that sounds. You are the apple of my eye, okay? These are just kind of weird things that we say that we don't realize it. Uh, when somebody's getting ready to go on stage to perform, what do they say? Break a leg. How is that good advice, okay? We're happy for you. We want you to do well by breaking your leg, all right? Now, what happens if you're playing ball and suddenly the ball is coming towards you? What do you say? Heads up. That's the worst advice, okay? The ball is coming towards your face. You should duck. You should get down. Heads up. Uh, what about this? That guy just lost his marbles. Where did he lose them? Are they just hidden somewhere? Uh, a couple of other ones. I would give an arm and a leg for that. Uh, that's, that that's, just, that's just a strange one to use. How about happy as a clam? I had no clue that clams are so happy, but we just throw that out, don't we? I've never actually came in counter with a, a clam before and didn't know that they had faces. Uh, cut the cheese. That's kind of self-explanatory. Um, filthy rich. Filthy rich. You just think about it. we're like dirty with money. Uh, that just sounds weird. And the birds and the bees. Uh, if anyone heard that that was not from our, our land here, we're talking about birds and bees. What is this you're speaking of and what we really are referencing there? There's actually some phrases around the world that they have as well. There are sayings that if we were to hear them in English, they sound a little strange. Uh, for example, in, uh, in Sweden, they use a phrase that's translated for us. There is no cow on the ice. There is no cow on the ice. Any guesses on what that means? No cow on the ice? There's no reason to panic. There's no cow on the ice. Uh, bang your bottom on the ground. The term they use in France. This is all from the internet, so it has to be true, okay? <laughs> Bang your bottom on the ground. If anyone's from France, this is wrong. Any guesses? To die laughing from laughter. To, be, to laugh so much, you're banging your bottom on the ground, all right? And uh, an Arabic, Arab, Arabic phrase is, to God gives peanuts to the man with no teeth. God gives peanuts to the man with no teeth. What does it mean? That's an, an ironic phrase. Isn't that ironic? Don't, don't you think? Uh, then we have another Arabic phrase. You are an ant milker. You are an ant milker. Did you know that? I'm going to look at somebody who's an ant milker. Don, you're an ant milker. That means you're a tightwad. You're a tightwad. <laughs> That's not true about Don, by the way. Uh, here's another one from Japan. They say, that's eye boogers laughing at nose boogers. That's eye boogers laughing at nose boogers. Any guesses? Any guesses? That basically means that's the pot calling the kettle black. One of ours that we use. I looked up a couple from Thailand, Yana. I don't know if these are any way correct, but it's, it, basically there's one that's uh, translated you can't paint stripes on a cat. You can't paint stripes.
stripes on a cat, which is you can't dress something up to look good, but under, underneath it's not because everyone knows that cats are not good looking. I love dogs. Um, <laughs> if a dog bites you, don't bite back. If a dog bite, that's good advice anywhere, <laughs> any country. If a dog bites you, don't bite back. If someone does something uh, very low, don't stoop to their level kind of thing, all right? But there are some phrases and things that we do that we don't really realize that we're doing, and we're just kind of used to them. Uh, when I got married, uh, I, we kind of had one of our first kind of mini arguments was over the peanut butter, okay? Now, I grew up that you put the peanut butter in the refrigerator, okay? I know. How many put the peanut butter in the refrigerator? Thank you. That is the right way. Survey says the right way, okay? Now, when we got, I got married, I suddenly learned the right way is not in the refrigerator. It's in the pantry because if you have it in the refrigerator, it doesn't spread very well. I dispute that fully. Uh, it's just better when it's cold. Everything's better when it's cold. To this day, 12 years later, when I have the peanut, when I fix the sandwich, my immediately first step is to the refrigerator. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Almost every single time, every single time. And occasionally I'll find the peanut butter and I'll just do it kind of subconsciously. But we do things like that and we don't realize it. We do it even in the church too. We kind of use some phrases and things that I call Christianese. Uh, there are these words like, and you can maybe pick it up on some of the songs that we sing. That's just covered by the blood. If you were to hear that for the first, what does that mean? That just is, sounds, or uh, salvation, or sanctification, or petrification, or, you know, there's just these words that were like, I don't use that word all the time. That's kind of Christianese. And, and, and when Paul is preaching this message, it's just like, Jesus, Messiah, crucified? There was a story that I heard about a little girl. She comes to Easter uh, service for the first, first time she's been to church, about five or six, goes to class, and the teacher is trying to explain Jesus and the cross. And, oh, it's, it's just a beautiful day. Uh, Jesus was nailed to the cross, and he, and he died. And she was just des you know, describing the suffering, and this little girl is just like, you can see the look on her face. It's like, this is horrible. This is awful. Why would... And the teacher, no, 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 it's okay, because Jesus died, and she's like, oh, he died? No, it's okay, because he, he, he resurrected and came back to life. Jesus is a zombie? <laughs> she said, no, no, it's for, it's for us. He died, and he, he rose again. That's what a zombie is, she said to the teacher. There's just some things that we say, and we go, we just, I don't know if they always, we hear them, as an author said, we hear very well sometimes with Sunday ears, but maybe we need to put Monday ears on. Maybe we need to put some Monday ears on. This message of the cross that Paul's preaching, it's very strange. He's telling people that the Messiah, the Savior that's going to come and save the world, he's going to come and he's going to die. That doesn't really compute with the word Savior. The word Savior, when we think of someone that's going to save, we think power. We think might. You know, the way the world takes over and builds something, builds a kingdom as Jesus is building, is we annihilate things. We're the ones with the biggest guns. 
that's the way the world operates. That's the, what people were kind of looking for in this Messiah. And so as Paul is preaching, this is, is strange. It's very strange. We, uh, we love movies. I love movies. I referenced a movie earlier, uh, kind of a superhero movie. Superhero movies are huge now. I don't know if you've noticed this in the last 10, 10 years. Marvel genius uh, for what they're doing with these, some of these movies. Some of them is because it's nostalgic. And we, we kind of grew up with some of these things. The Avengers movie, it grossed in the first weekend that it was released $200 million. And some of the biggest box office movies that we have now are, are these kinds of movies. And people just flock to them. And uh, I'm sure the Avengers 2 will be the, the same way. And you know, I was thinking about this, like, why are they so popular? Why are they, they, they so big? And I asked uh, my friend, who will be nameless, uh, Dr. Johnson, and uh, I said, why do you think these comic you know, book kind of movies are, are so popular? And his answer was, because the kids aren't playing outside anymore. And if they were playing outside, they're playing on the video games and the internet machine. And uh, that's why they're so popular. And then he stopped himself. He's like, that sounds like a 50-year-old, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. You know, there's a, the, a, a book that's out uh, that a guy who writes a lot of these uh, comic book kind of characters, uh, it's a guy who, who basically says he's trying to figure out this, this very thing of why these, these heroes are so popular. And it's basically, he talks about a narrative of living inside this, this fantasy world and escaping into this world where the heroes are like these powerful uh, people and are known and are popular. And uh, he talks about a couple of the characters that we see that are in very popular movies the Batman ser uh, series of movies, and also an Iron Man. And uh, you know Iron Man, the, uh, the main guy is this guy by the name of Tony Stark. And, and what are some of the qualities we know about good old Tony Stark? He's very wealthy. He's very tech savvy. He is very smart. He has a very healthy uh, dose of narcissism, uh, kind of full of himself. And he is not shy away from attention in any way, okay? And he's a very handsome man. And he looks good, too. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, but he's all of those things. That's what we want in a savior. That's what we're looking for. Power, might. That's what the world values. Don't you see that? What is the world like? Power, comfort, success, recognition popularity, popularity students, we know about that, inclusion, and everything is based on the now. I need pleasure now. I don't care what tomorrow holds now. I'm willing to buy that zip zip on my credit card now. I don't care what the consequences are down the line. It's now. You know, I, I read this a couple weeks ago that Houston is the fifth most stressed out city in the United States right now based on polls. And some of the information they got back was, of course, our, our stressed outness is due to the traffic that we face. And we can all pull our hair out. If you live anywhere near Barker Cypress, God bless you right now as you are enduring that, that mess. But the, the, the other thing that they highlighted, it was a big thing, that Houston, Houstonians choose to work more than anyone else in the country. The cost of living is, is, is lower Things cost less, but we choose to work more because we're trying to get ahead. We're trying to 
get stuff. We're trying to gain power, popularity, things that make us comfortable. It, it's hard to resist sometimes. There's a, a great story uh, that uh, a guy by the name of Pastor by the name of Scott Daniels tells about a theologian and, a, and an author by the name of Jim uh, Wallace. And Jim was uh, to speak at uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s, uh, there was a, a, a Monday, on the Monday that they celebrated his birth, they had a, a big service at Ebenezer Baptist Church, that historic church in Atlanta, and they brought in dignitaries from all over the world, there's press everywhere, and, and Jim was to speak about justice and, and about uh, righteousness in this world today, and uh, confessionally, Jim writes that he was scared to death. Scared to death as he gets ready to speak in this kind of historic pulpit and moment. And he's just frightened. And he gets to the pulpit, and it's almost he has one of those moments where his throat closes in. And he's like, today is a great day. And it's just kind of, you've been there before, I've been there before. And somewhere on the, on the right side, this raspy, deep voice cries out, oh God, help him. And suddenly he just kind of gains his confidence. And he's like... Today, and he just builds it where the Lord is going to teach us about justice and righteousness. That's better, God, but help him some more, comes from this voice. And uh, he's, he starts to get some momentum. He starts to kind of feel the spirit, and he goes. And before you know it, he's kind of frothing in the mouth and spitting and preaching, and it's just a great kind of, kind of moment. At the end of the service, he goes and finds this gentleman, and he says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for helping me. And the man says this, he's like, son, I've pulled out uh, better sermons from worse preachers than you. <laughs> and uh, just a, kind of a funny moment as there's this togetherness of the church. Today, as we, we think about this, this cross, this message of the cross, I need a little help. There's a verse that, that sums all this really up. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. And it says this. So it's the words of Paul. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Can you say that with me? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of the cross. Now I'm going to say everything but the underlying part, and I want you to do, it is the power of, the, of God. Got that? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, awesome. We're going we're gonna to have some more chances to do that. I'm going to point to you when it's your turn. You see, when, when Paul preaches this message, you know what the reaction is? Some accept and believe, and others, they riot. <laughs> they riot against this message of the cross. This is, this is, as Paul says, this is foolishness to the Jews. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles. It just doesn't make sense. The way of God doesn't make sense to us because we have been kind of indoctrinated in the world's philosophy. But if you look at the narrative of the Bible, over and over and over again, the message is the same. It didn't start with Jesus. It's from the very beginning. Jesus, or God, he created the world and saw that, to be quite honest, we'd gone to a wicked direction. And what does he say? I'm going to rise up a people. I'm going to build a people that are going to be after my heart, and they're going to live out this grace and love and mercy in the world. 
I'm going to populate the earth with these, these, this new people. Well, who am I going to start with to, to start this new, this new people? Who, what fertile couple can I find that can start this, this, this journey? Abraham and Sarah, 100 years old and 95 years old, okay? We don't want to think about that too much of how to populate the earth with these two folks, but they're not the first ones that, that we would pick out, okay? Those aren't the first in line that you would pick out. That's the message of the world. That's the world's way of picking people. We don't, we don't pick the, the infertile, the older. That, that, that's not first in our picking line. But guess what? The message, what is it? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, that was very weak. But to those who are being saved, awesome they have a, a a child and throughout all of our history guess what when god chooses the world tells us the message of the world is this when there is an inheritance and the, the inheritance of of passing on this message of salvation it's to pick out the oldest because of course the oldest son is the most responsible shake your head if you are one of those the most the mantle carrier the uh whatever that's, that's the way the world looks. You pass it on to the oldest. But, but who does God so often carry things on to? The youngest. Who's the youngest of 12 that God gives a blessing to a coat? It's Joseph. Who, do, who, does, who gets the blessing, Jacob or Esau? It's Jacob. Who's the, the youngest? God chooses those that the world does not choose. And you know why? Because the message... The way of God is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, awesome, awesome, there you go. The people, they end up in slavery, remember? They're in slavery in Egypt, and there's this Pharaoh. What is Pharaoh? Pharaoh is, he's kind of the ideal of what we're looking for in a, in a savior. He's powerful, he's mighty, he's wealthy, he is known, he has all of the guns, and who is, Israel is just slaves to this this pharaoh because of course the person who wins the person who's the mightiest god has to be with that person right that's not the way god operates is it he goes to who to moses a stuttering prophet and uses a burning bush and says hey this is not my way this is not who we are why because the way of god is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who are being saved awesome. There's stories all throughout the Bible that are like this. In Joshua, you see that God leads the people. He leads them through the Red Sea, and Pharaoh comes after them in their military might, and of course, the sea just comes over the Egyptians and leads them. God is leading his people to the promised land, and when he gets to the promised land, when they get to the front doors of this land, what do we discover? There are people that are living in the promised land, okay? Just a little if you're going to buy a house, make sure the people are out of the house when you go there. But they go to the front door, and there are people. They're not just regular people. There are giants that live there. There are people that are trying to, uh, they don't want these, this new God's people to, to, to enter. And there's actually the city, Jericho. Do you remember that story? It's one of my favorites. Jericho, they have these huge walls around the city, and they have all the guns. They have all the power. And what does God say? He said, this is your land. This is, your, this is yours. I'm giving this to you. And so how does he give it to them? How does he conquer this city? 
says, I want you to go and have a worship service. I want you to march around this city. You remember that story? I want you to march around the city for six days. And on the seventh, you're going you're gonna to worship some more. You're going to march around seven times. And what's going to happen on, at the end of that seventh time? You're going to yell out. And what happens? The walls, they come tumbling down. It comes tumbling down. The way of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, awesome. You know, there's a great story in Judges, a little bit similar. A guy by the name of Gideon. There's this army that's, that's, that they're facing. And at this point, it's about 30,000 to 30,000. The, the, the world looks at this and like, huh, this is a fair fight. Maybe they'll fight and maybe Israel potentially maybe will, will, will win this one. But God doesn't look at numbers that way. I don't know if you ever know this. God's math is a little different than ours. And he begins to look at the people and says, there's too many. You have too many. I want you to ask the army this. If anyone's scared, go home. <laughs> and so that's what Gideon does, which is kind of like saying, would you like a nap today if I were to ask you that? It's kind of a question you just don't ask sometimes because the answer, of course, is yes. We all would like a nap, all right? And some of you are taking one right now. Um, he asked that question, and 22,000 people take off. And so now they're left with 10. And what do they do? They go and they get ready for battle, and they, uh, God says, eh, there's still too many of you. There's still too many. Go down to the river. Remember that? And he says, watch the way the, 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 the army eats. And those who lap up the, the, the water like, like dogs, those are the ones that we'll choose. Those are the ones. And how many are they left with? 300 against an army of 30,000. That's the way God's math works, folks. It doesn't make sense always because the powerful and the mighty, those are the ones that should win, right? Not the ones that have the Lord on their side. But what happens? Gideon comes and just with some, some clay pots and some horns, they, they play in the middle of the night and the people began to get so confused that they, they kill themselves. The way of God is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, the power of God. It is the power of God. In 1 Samuel 16, we see another story. You know, the people tried to choose their own king. They said, we want a king. And God said, you know what? You have a king. I am your king. I'm your king. We have that kind of relationship. The people are like, no, we need a person. We need a person. And, and who was that first king that they, they chose? They chose the tallest, the most handsome person, Tony Stark. I don't know if he's very tall, but that's kind of who we choose. And how did that go? It didn't go so well, did it? Saul wasn't a good king. So now God is going to choose a king, and he goes to the house of Jesse. And he says, bring all of your, your, your sons out. And the first son, the oldest, the strongest, the world works that way. Elib is his name. And, and, the, and the Hebrew here is basically, Elib was a stud muffin, okay? He was like the man. All right, so obviously, okay, this is the guy. This is going to be the king. And, and Samuel even says that. This has got to be the one. And God's like, no, 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 no. What happens? The world, you look at the, the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You do not have to look very far in our culture to realize that's the way the world operates. The world constantly is worried about the outward appearance when it's the heart that matters. 
And we bring all these sons out. Bring all the sons out. No, 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 no. Is this it? Is this it? Well, there's the, there's the other one. He's the other one that's out in the field. And I, I love this, this word. It's a, it's a great Hebrew uh, word for you today. It's the hakaton. Hakaton. Hak. You had to spit in some way to say that. Hakaton. That's the name for this, 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 this boy. He's the runt of the litter. David was the runt of the litter. That's who God chooses. The runt of the litter. You know why he does? Because the wisdom of the world, of God, the wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. In Daniel chapter 3, there's these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the world says this. You've got to kind of follow what everyone is doing. That's the way the world operates. And if you don't, we're going to kind of ostracize you. Ostracize you. You're, you're, you can okay, it's okay to have your religion, your, your little thing. You, you can worship that. But you know what? You do that on Sunday, but come Monday, you need to follow the way everyone else is. And you need to get in line with that. And Nebuchadnezzar says this. Hey, guys, you guys can do your own your little God thing over here. But twice a day, you know what you're going to do? When the horns bow or the horns play, you're going to bow down and you're going to worship the statue of, of me. And if you don't, guess what? There's a fiery furnace waiting for you. Well, these three uh, Hebrew children, they don't follow that philosophy. We, we cannot bow down and worship you like everyone else. There is only one God. You cannot serve two. You either serve God or you can serve the God of, these world, of this world. And they choose the fire. And what, what happened in that story? I, I, I forget. He throws them in there, and suddenly he looks inside, and there's not three anymore. There's a fourth. And he looks like the son of God. Wow. The way of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, that's awesome. I, don't have, I could keep going, but we're going we're gonna to bring it to the New Testament. There's a story, and it's about a baby. And where is this baby born? Is he born in, in a palace, this, this new king? Is he, is he born in, into royalty? No, he's born with a bunch of animals in a stable. He's born in a manger. This is the way, the way that the Lord has come to, to, to us. He, he came in, in such a humble way to Mary and to Joseph. Now, that's not the way kings arrive. They arrive with, hey, everyone, the new king has been born. This is kind of like the, the Simba kind of moment here, all right? But Jesus didn't arrive that way, did he? And he certainly didn't teach that way either. Because in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, everything about this sermon, the Beatitudes, it's the opposite of the way the world thinks. Who is lifted up? The humble are lifted up. The brokenhearted, those who are seeking righteousness. This is who the Lord lifts up. Now this is hard. This is super hard message. Even Peter, now who does he choose? Does he choose the smartest, the bravest, the strongest? He chooses the outcast, the disciple. Those are his, his followers. Peter doesn't get this message. In Matthew chapter 16, remember what Jesus says? He says this, who do you say, who do others say that I am? And, and they give some answers. And then he said, well, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this, well, you are the Messiah, 
the Son of God. And Jesus says what? He says, you are correct. You, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, which, hey, Peter's got to feel good about that. Okay, just a few verses later, Jesus begins to talk about the cross. I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. And Peter pulls Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Jesus, that's not going to happen. It's never a good idea to tell Jesus what to do, by the way. Just going to throw that out there, okay? Jesus, you're not going to die. You're not going to do that. Now, you kind of think about that and go, well, Peter, how dare you? But, you know, we're constantly in the midst of our world and our culture. It just permeates who we are. And we have ears to not hear our Lord, but we have ears, and we are oriented our brains and our ways around the world's ways and the way the world operates. So when we hear that, we're like, well, I kind of understand that. And what is Jesus' response? Get behind me. Get behind me. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind that concern the, the mind that concerns of God, but you merely have human concerns on your mind. It happens again too. Remember when Jesus is is, is washing feet, he's serving. Kings don't serve; they get served. Okay, he's washing feet. Peter, you cannot wash my feet. You cannot do. If you don't allow me to do this, you can have no part of me. Because the king, he gives us an example, and he calls that example up for all of us. And that's where some rub happens there. When God says, hey, I'm showing you an example. Now go and live out this example as well. We see it over and over again. Because the way of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. So this riot, they hear Paul's message about the cross, and they are like, this is not the Messiah we want. That's not the Messiah that we're looking for, because if the Messiah we're looking for is going to save our world, it's going to make us powerful, it's going to make us strong, it's going to make our names known, that's not the way that we want to operate. So what happens? Acts chapter 17, verses 5 through 7, the worship band can come up now. It says this, they attacked the home of Jason, which is kind of an odd name, by the way, in the Bible. You think like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Jason. Um, they attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. And not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead, and they took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against this Caesar. Because Caesar, <laughs> Caesar is the, the powerful and the mighty that the, the world likes. For they profess allegiance to another king named, named Jesus. Now I like to use the NLT, but I think the NLT kind of missed it on this. The New Living Translation. There's a better version of, of, of what's happening here. The crowd, they, they shout, and they basically are saying they're causing trouble all over the world. Paul and the Silas. And this is the phrase that, that is the best translation. They are turning the world upside down. They're turning the world upside down. Now somewhere, I believe Jesus, when, when they say this phrase, just a huge smile just comes on his face. They get it. They get it. They get it. 
the disciples, when they go and preach this gospel, this gospel of serving and loving, mercy and grace, forgiveness, it turns our world upside down and begin to see the world the way Jesus sees the world and reorienting this that way. There was a show that uh, was kind of a survival show for us when we had Noah. And it's the show of, uh, it's called the Upside Down Show. And it lasted, I think, one season because it wasn't that good. But Noah, lo- did you, anybody remember the Upside Down Show? All right. I liked it because they had accents. Uh, but, but what happened was in every episode, they would do this remote control. And they're like, it. <laughs> did you just wake up? <laughs> okay. In the middle of this show, every episode, somebody would, there's a remote control involved, and uh, somebody would like hit a button, and they would go, "Oh no, you hit the upside down button!" And uh, the, the the screen would flip over. Amazing technology, and uh, they're upside down now. And they're hanging upside down, and for some reason, two-year-old Noah loved this show, and it was a great distraction. So we love this show. But, but that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to turn the world upside down and to begin to see and to begin to, to view the world the way he does and through his eyes. And let me tell you, folks, it may seem like foolishness to a world that is perishing, but it is the power of God. Now, I got to confess, in living in the world that I, I, I live in and we live in together, we're constantly pulled we're kind of sucked into this mentality that we see everywhere. I mean, we see it everywhere. From the things that we listen to, that we watch, that we consume all the time, and we're constantly being pulled that direction. It's no wonder that we would just go, well, God, that's not the way you operate, okay? That's the way the Messiahs look. So coming today and coming in this place, we are reoriented into the way of the gospel, in the way of love, and grace and mercy. And that is the, 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 the atmosphere that we come to the table today. We look at a, a Messiah that's very different, a king that is very different. This Messiah didn't come and uh, with guns blazing. He came a little differently, didn't he? And he certainly died a little differently. The message of the cross, it's a stumbling block to some, but it is the power for us. It is our power because it's here that we find forgiveness. It's here we find our mercy. We have a God that didn't say, you need to do, do, do. He said, I'm going to do it for you. Oh, that's different, isn't it? That's not the way our world works. He said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And so this morning, as we take the elements, As you hold them in your hand, think about a God that is shaping us differently and calling us to another kingdom in another way. God, you're so good to us. Our hearts are, um, our hearts are just inspired and amazed by your grace and your love, God, because we see you and I look at me. And I realize how differently we are sometimes. And God, I pray that, uh, God, you would forgive me.
Lord, forgive me for sometimes being pulled the way of the world, in the way that I think, the way that I act, and the way that I speak. Orient my life around the gospel of love and grace. As we look at the ultimate symbol of that, the cross today, God, we say thank you. We say thank you for what you have done for us. And, oh, God, help us, Lord. Help us to live out this gospel everywhere with Sunday years and with Monday years as well, Lord. God, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to go to the table uh, of the Lord. And, and you don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a Nazarene. You just have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the way that we uh, take communion is by intention. And the way that works is you just come up, you take a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, and you're going to take the elements. We're going to have people that are going to come up, and they're going to take first and, or serve first, and then they're going to hand the elements to the person behind them because we believe that we are called to, to serve and to serve one another. And so one is going to take and then hand the elements, and you're going to serve the person behind you. You can go to any of these stations to do that. We have a, a gluten-free station in the back. Today, as we come to the table, we're reminded that on, not, on the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took a cup, and he took some bread, and when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He says, this is my blood that was shed for you. Take and remember. This morning, as the worship band leads us, I invite you to come to the table and partake this morning. Servers are coming. He is alive. He has overcome. And in this world that we live in, where we see so many different messages, I pray and I hope that you hear the one of the gospel, the one of our Lord that he has been preaching for a long time and living out in, in our midst. And so that's my prayer and my hope for you this week, that you will discern the voice of our Lord and the Spirit of God as you live and you, 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 you work and as you, you go with your family. We're excited about you, new youth pastor. Very uh, pumped about them being here. Eddie, I'm going to ask you to escort your beautiful bride to the uh, foyer, and you're going to get a chance to meet them. Parents of students and students, we're going to have that luncheon in the gym, so we hope to see you there as well. Have a wonderful Lord's Day and the peace of our, our Lord.